Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, if you get a group of people together, a group of Christians, and you were to ask them the question, uh, what do you think about the Holy Spirit, or, or what is your usual response to the idea of the Holy Spirit, you would probably get a wide range of answers. And you would also probably find two major ends of the spectrum represented. I'm not saying that everybody's at one or the other end. I'm just saying that uh, these are the voices that I tend to hear most loudly. Well, one group, I'll just, I'll say it like this and I'll explain. One group does not give the Holy Spirit enough credit and the other group gives the Holy Spirit far too much credit. What I mean by that is there's one group that just really gets frightened when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit. That seems like things get out of control whenever we start talking about the Holy Spirit. And I don't, I don't, I like to be in control. I don't like the idea of being filled by the Holy Spirit and, and surrendering control to God even. And so you have, you have that, that one group. And then on the other side, you have people who are saying, well, this is the Holy Spirit and that's the Holy Spirit. And uh, you would look at the Bible and realize that no, it's not. That's, that's not what the Holy Spirit's doing. And yet uh, we, we start labeling certain things or certain acts or certain, certain instances, certain occurrences, and we say, that has got to be the Holy Spirit. That's, I know it's the Holy Spirit. I had this feeling, and so it's the Holy Spirit. I had, had goosebumps, so I know it's the Holy Spirit. It may have just been, you've heard me say, we need to learn to differentiate between the Holy Spirit and a draft. Because sometimes you're just, you may be sitting in a, in a cool area, and you may, get, you may get a chill and say, I, just, I think the Holy Spirit came upon me. You just may be cold. You just may need a sweater. It may not be a revival. It may just be a, a cold breeze. So we, we do have to differentiate between those two. And so I want us to, to start today through a series called By My Spirit. And we are going to look at what does the Bible say about the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and hopefully clear up some misconceptions and, and give us a deeper appreciation for who the Holy Spirit is, how he works in our lives, and how we are to live a spirit-filled life. And so many times whenever you mention spirit-filled life, some people get very concerned. They say, oh, now we're, we're going to go off on some extreme. And yet at the same time, you look at the Bible, and this is what the Bible says, that we are to live lives that are spirit-filled. And, and the very phrase from which we're taking the title for this series, By My Spirit, comes from a passage in Zechariah. Uh, God is foretelling the return to Jerusalem from captivity, He's talking about the rebuilding of the temple. And when things look so impossible while they are there in captivity, this is what God says. Zechariah 4, 6, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So through this study, that's what I'd like for us to look at. That's sort of my ministry verse. If I have a ministry verse, that would be it. The verse that I keep going back to saying, God, that's what I want my ministry to be marked by. Not by might, not by power, not by human wisdom and reasoning, not by earthly understanding and earthly power and earthly effort, but by the Spirit. And can I just tell you, as the Holy Spirit is so misunderstood so often, whenever we look at Scripture, He will be misunderstood when He is operating in your life not only out in the world, but among lots of people who say that they know Christ. 
And so whenever the God's Spirit starts to work in you, understand there's going to be some misunderstanding. But I want us to look at three basic principles before we start anything, and we're going to review these every week. I want us to look at three basic principles. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want us to look at three basic principles very briefly before we get into the text this morning that's found in Ephesians. I want us to look at these three principles, and if you will hold these three principles, these three biblical principles in your mind as you read about the Holy Spirit in Scripture, it will save you a lot of headache. It will also keep you kind of between the ditches with a great amount of theology. So we don't want to get in a theological ditch. We don't want to be led astray theologically, nor do we want to lead other people astray theologically. Well, how do we make sure we're not doing that? We keep going back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And so we trust that. So let me give you these three basic principles, and if you keep these in mind, so many other things are going to make so much more sense, and it will keep you from grave theological error. The first one is the person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not an impression. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, he has the fullness of divinity. You find in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit. Now, is that saying there's just, there's just God, and he manifests himself as Jesus? He manifests himself as a Spirit? No. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, and the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. He is God. Since he is God, we can also say a few other things. One is the Holy Spirit, being God, will always agree with the Word of God. I've had people in ministry come to me over many years and say something like this. I know what the Bible says, but God's Spirit is telling me, okay, can I just tell you, right there is usually where I cut them off. If you say, I know the Word of God says this, and then you say, but God's Spirit in me is saying, okay, then that's not God's Spirit, period. God's Spirit will not disagree with the Word of God because the Holy Spirit is God. He is divine. He is God. And being God, he's not going to contradict himself. Which also means if one person says the Holy Spirit is leading me in this direction and telling me this, and the other person is saying no, the Holy Spirit is saying that, there's a problem there too because the Holy Spirit will always agree with himself. I had, I had two uh, young ladies come to my office many years ago when I was serving up in Knoxville. And they were having an argument, and they sat down, and one of them said, well, the Holy Spirit is telling me this, and the other one said, well, the Holy Spirit's telling me this. And they said, we're, we're, we've come to see you. And I said, why? And one of them said, so you can be the referee. I said, well, I don't have to be the referee. Let's just go and see what the Word of God says. I says, but, but before we go to the Word of God, I can tell you one thing. There's either one of three options going on here. And they said, okay, what is it? And I looked at the first young lady and I said either you're right and it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you're wrong or either you speaking to the second young lady either you're right and she's wrong or you're both wrong 
That's, there's that option. Maybe the Holy Spirit's not speaking to either one of you. It may just be your flesh. You know, sometimes we say our spirit is grieved when really it's our flesh grumbling. I said, so we need to go to the Word and God and see. And one of them said, why can't it be both? We're both right. So, well, first of all, if you thought you were both right, you wouldn't be here with me. Okay? <laughs> it's pretty clear. I wouldn't have to play referee if you think you're both right. But those are the options. The Holy Spirit is not going to contradict or disagree with himself because the Holy Spirit is God. Secondly, the presence, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit occurs once at salvation, but the filling of the Spirit can occur, occur multiple times. God's indwelling of the Holy Spirit coming to live within a believer, that happens for us at the moment of salvation. Now, that means, we say, well, wait, what about when it says being filled with, so they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a filling that happens multiple times. The indwelling happens once. The Holy Spirit comes to live within our heart, comes to live within our, live within our bodies. The Holy Spirit himself, God himself, living within us, indwelling us. But being controlled by him and relinquishing control and surrendering to the Holy Spirit, that happens again and again and again and again and again as we live in obedience and trust and faith and surrendering to the word of God. Now, I know some people say, but, but in the Old Testament, well, oh, no way, in the Old Testament, David prayed, do not take your spirit from me. What's that about? Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people temporarily for empowerment to accomplish a certain deed, a certain task, a certain obligation, a certain calling. And then it was a temporary empowerment. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you find Holy Spirit coming and and remaining. But we find for believers that indwelling happens once, the filling happens multiple times. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father the words of Jesus, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Not temporarily, but forever. Ephesians 1, 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the truth, the gospel, and believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The indwelling happens once, his indwelling presence, but his filling, and we'll talk more about that today, happens multiple times. And then finally, the primary role. The Holy Spirit makes known, highlights, and exalts Jesus. That's his primary role. He highlights, he makes known He exalts Jesus. He manifests Jesus. He reveals Jesus. He points to Jesus, highlights Jesus, the activity of Jesus. He exalts, he lifts up, he glorifies Jesus. That is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. That's it. According to Jesus, John 16, 14, he will glorify me. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to make known, highlight and exalt Jesus. And if you remember those three biblical principles, it will save you from a great amount of theological error. So with that in mind, let's talk about why are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, what we're talking about today is, again, not an exhaustive list, but Paul, writing the church at Ephesus, gives some of the earmarks, some of the non-negotiable characteristics that we will manifest, that we will reveal, that we will show when we are filled by the Holy Spirit. 
And so the first one, well, let's just, well, let me just read the passage to you first. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that's reckless, wasted living, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul says that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we see certain things. And before we get there, I just want to touch on verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Some translations say that is dissipation. Some translations say that is reckless living. And that's the basic idea, reckless, wasted living. To be, to be drunk, to live in this intoxicated way. But then he segues and says, but be filled with the Spirit. So he's drawing this comparison just as when someone is intoxicated and they are controlled by that substance and it is, it is coloring their thinking, it's coloring the way they speak, it's coloring the way they walk, it's coloring everything that they do. It, it impacts the way that they live their lives in the same way, he says, don't be drunk but be filled with the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control your thoughts. Let the Holy Spirit control the way that you live your life, the way that that is manifested in your life. Let He be in control of your life. Be filled by the Spirit. And by the way, that verb phrase there, it doesn't really come out that clearly in our English translations. The idea is to be continually filled with the Spirit. Paul is saying, seek to be continually controlled by the Holy Spirit. Seek to be continually filled. And notice he says, be filled. It's passive. It's not something we work up. I'm going to work up and try really, really hard to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to get as much of the Holy Spirit in my life as I possibly can. It doesn't work that way. We surrender. We surrender to Christ. We surrender to the Word. We surrender to the authority of God. We surrender to His plan. We surrender to His will. We, we give ourselves up to Him. That's not to say that we go into some ecstatic state where we don't remember anything. And you, at the end of the day, you say, well, I must have been filled by the Holy Spirit today because I don't remember a thing. No, there's no Holy Spirit hangover, right? You don't wake up, look back, and not understand what went on. That's not what you find. But we are to be controlled by the Spirit. And he says, when you are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, there are certain things that we will see. The first one is this. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will focus our worship upon the Lord alone. We're filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to exalt Christ. Lead us closer to God because he is God himself. So we will focus our worship on the Lord alone. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we worship and we worship him alone. It's interesting because Paul says a very, very similar thing over in the book of Colossians. A lot of the phrases are very similar. Listen to what he says here. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Do you see what's going on here? The word of God and the spirit of God, just as we mentioned earlier, are so intertwined in the way that we worship God. 
We worship God according to his word. We are filled with his spirit according to his word. Today we read scripture. We read scripture as part of our worship to God, speaking God's words back to him. And God is pleased by that. We sing songs that that are scriptural in nature. We sing songs that have biblical underpinnings, even if they're not verbatim words of a Bible verse. The scriptural underpinning is there. The scriptural foundation is there. And so we are to worship our focus, our worship upon the Lord alone. And notice what he says. It's not just external worship. There's internal worship going on that has to happen. He says that we're singing, but yet at the same time, he says, we're making melody to the Lord with your heart. So there's not only an external display, there's the external giving God glory, there's the external giving God praise, but also that's going on at a heart level. There's not just knee bowing going on, there's some heart bowing going on that Paul is talking about. And we must worship God internally as well. This is what Jesus says, John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now understand that this passage that Jesus is talking about, primarily here that word spirit, if you notice probably in your Bible, it's not capitalized, but the idea there is not that it's pointing back to worshiping via the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of you're worshiping at a spirit level. You're worshiping in a spiritual way. And you're worshiping at a heart level, and you're worshiping based upon the truth of the Word of God. That's so important. Because so many times we get so distracted, and we can worship in all sorts of ways, and we may worship, but we're not bringing our hearts to worship. You find in Isaiah, Isaiah speaks about some of the people of the day, and then Jesus in the New Testament has a little callback to that passage in Isaiah and applies what Isaiah said as a prophecy against these Jewish leaders. And he says in Matthew 15, 8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God is saying in Isaiah, these these people, they're coming to me and they're worshiping me and they're, they're doing lip service to me, but their hearts aren't involved. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will worship because you will worship God alone. Because he's the only one that's worthy, and, and the God that is in us recognizes that. And so we come and, and we worship him with our heart, with our mind, in truth. You realize the most, the most important question to ask about worship? The most important question to ever ask about our worship, be it private worship, be it corporate worship, the most important question that we ask is this, is God pleased? That's it. Is God pleased? That's the ultimate question we have to ask. And if God is pleased with it because he's the object of the worship, then we really don't have any place to say anything about it if God is pleased with it. You've heard me mention my mother growing up had a little cousin. Her name was Rachel. And Rachel had a speech impediment. Pretty, pretty severe speech impediment. And so one night, my mom had invited Rachel to come spend the night with her and just have a weekend there at their house. And my, my grandmother had, had made a meal, and my mom as a little girl, and Rachel as a little girl, sat down at the table for dinner. And my grandmother looked at Rachel and said, Rachel, would you like to bless the meal? And Rachel nodded, and Rachel began to pray. And Rachel's speech impediment was so heavy that she, she prayed, and when she got done, the only thing my mom said she could make out was amen. 
And when little Rachel said, amen, my mom looked at her and said, Rachel, I didn't understand a word you said. And Rachel said, well, I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) I wasn't talking to you. I wasn't praying to you. So many of us, we could, we could have the same thing applied to us. Why? Well, I, I didn't particularly like that song today. Well, it's okay. It wasn't being sung for me. It wasn't being sung to me. It was being sung to God. And if God was pleased with it, then I just need to deal with it. Because if God is pleased with it, that is the primary concern. Is God pleased with it? Because in worship, We're more concerned with the desires of the king than we are the demands of a consumer. Because we as consumers, we like certain things. Well, I didn't like this, and I like that, and I wish they had done this, and I wish they had done that. That's fine. When you get a throne that you sit on in glory, then I guess you can get to say that. But until that day, we need to redirect our focus back toward God himself. Because God's the only one that we're worshiping. He is the audience, not us. We are the participants in worship. He is the audience. It's not the other way around. It's not that God is here to perform for us. No, we are here as the audience bringing glory and honor to God. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we will focus our worship upon God, upon the Lord alone. Secondly, when we're filled with the Spirit, we will give thanks at all times for all things. You find that hard? I do. Do you know why I find that hard? Because we're not being filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled by the Spirit, this is what Paul says. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and for everything. We give thanks at all times and for all things whenever we're filled with the Spirit of God. This is why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not just if you're filled with the Spirit, that's what will happen. But then Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, being thankful in all things is God's will. And we say, I want God's will for my life. God's will for our life, in part, is giving thanks in all things. How can we do this? Well, here's how we do this. We do this recognizing First of all, that God is in control of all things. When you realize God is in control of all things, and even something difficult has come into your life, then God has a reason for allowing that in our lives. And that is there in order to make me more like Christ through the process of sanctification. Sometimes sanctification hurts. And so I can go before God and I can say, God, I may not like this. God, this may be painful. God, this may be difficult. But Lord, help me to not miss what you're teaching me through this. Help me to not miss the lesson. But not only that, use this in a way to shape me and mold me, sand me, and and use me in such a way, Lord God, and use this situation in my life and in my heart and in my mind to make me more like Jesus. And then you can give thanks for that because this is a situation that's going to make me more like Jesus. In the short term, it may be painful. In the short term, it may be really difficult. In the short term, I may not like it at all. But at the same time, I can say, thank you, God. Thank you for this, even in the difficulty. When Paul writes, for God causes all things to work together for the good. He doesn't say all things are good. He says he causes all things. He works all things together 
for the good. So the, the dark threads and the gold threads, and he weaves them together. And we don't see how all the weaving is going on, but he's definitely doing that. He works all things, all things good and bad, together for the good. The good by itself is good, but it doesn't have quite the same impact as when you weave in those dark threads. And those dark threads by themselves, if you just had something woven with that, well, that would be a, that'd be a pretty bad, that'd be a pretty bad circumstance, a pretty bad situation. But together he works all things together for good. And so we understand that. And so we can give him thanks. Secondly, let me give you another reason. God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit is indwelling each one of us. And when we are filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he helps us to recognize the blessings that we might otherwise miss. Because God recognizes his own blessings that he gives. And so with the Holy Spirit within us, when something comes along, something that I might miss, and the Holy Spirit of God says, that's one of my blessings. I can recognize it as such and give him thanks. So we are to give thanks at all times for all things, as difficult as that may be. God, thank you for this. God, thank you. When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give thanks according to this passage. Well, next, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will seek the spiritual health of others. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that word submitting there is used in the Bible throughout the New Testament to refer to submission to God's authority, submission to God's will, submitting to what God would have. And so when the Bible says that we're submitting to one another, it's the idea of that we are submitting to God's authority over all of us and God's authority over all of us as we interact with each other. That's the idea. So we're not necessarily submitting just to someone else's human authority. That's, that's not the idea. It's the, because of God, out of reverence. This is the, the idea, out of reverence for Christ. So we're looking out for each other as we are one body under the authority of God, living under the authority with each other, interacting with each other, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are doing that in such a way that we are seeking because we're seeking to revere Christ, but also we're seeking the spiritual health and well-being of each other. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what we'll do. We'll be looking out for each other. Listen to Ephesians 2.22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You there, that's the idea of a plural you. You all, good southern vernacular, you all, y'all, are being built together as a dwelling place by God or for God by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is knitting us together in unity, and we're looking out for each other and building one another up. That's why in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, Paul writes, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to be concerned for the body of Christ, the church, And we will be seeking to build one another up. We'll be seeking the spiritual health of one another. Sometimes that's exhortation that's encouraging. Sometimes it's it's a challenge that has to be issued. But we are seeking the overall spiritual health of one another. 
That's what we are to do. And we're not after, we're not looking after ourselves primarily. We're looking out after each other because we understand we're the body of Christ and we're to be concerned about everybody else's spiritual well-being. Now, I didn't say, I didn't say physical comfort, okay? Spiritual well-being. Sometimes that's, that's difficult. Sometimes that's, that's hard, right? But listen to Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And that's going to come out in the way that we interact with each other. That's going to come out fulfill the Spirit. It's going to come out in the way that we, we speak to one another, the way we encourage one another. Uh, talking about speaking to one another, Adrian Rogers famously uh, said that, uh, I wrote it down here, the sign that you are spirit-filled is not the ability to speak in a language you have never learned, but the ability to control the one tongue you do have. Oh, goodness. It's true. Whenever the Holy Spirit of God is living and filling and living within us, if we're followers of Christ, and then filling us as surrendered followers of Christ, then we will find that everything is going to be colored by that. And we are going to be concerned about the way we interact with each other. We'll be concerned with the way that we lead or the way that we live around other people in order so other people can grow. We are concerned about the spiritual health of others. And then finally... Back to John 16, 14, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will glorify me, we will direct the attention to Jesus. If we are filled with the Spirit, we, there's non-negotiable, we will direct the attention to Jesus. Look back in verse 19 of Ephesians 5. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This whole passage is full of directing that attention back toward Christ, back to Jesus. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will direct the attention to Jesus. And and understand, that doesn't mean what I think should happen. That does not mean what makes me feel best. Because sometimes what we want to do is we want to say, whatever brings the most attention and glory and honor to Jesus is that which makes me most comfortable. That which I am most comfortable with. I talked to a couple of people over the last two or three weeks and we we were talking about worship style. That's one of the big things that, you know, you want to, you want to see a church get into some turmoil whenever people start arguing about worship style. Thankfully, we don't, we don't have that much of that here. But I know of churches that, I mean, it's, the churches have split over worship style. And I had someone here, um, one of my buddies from Tennessee, was talking to me and, and just made a comment and said, you know, I remember when, you know, and he's my age, and I'm thinking, you know, we're, we're, we're too young to have those kind of talks, right? I, I remember back when, you know. And uh, he said, we're not as young as you remember us being. Um, but um, he said, I remember when all of these things, you know, happened. And I just looked at him and I said, you do realize, and you've heard me say this before. I said, you do realize that the time difference between 2021 and 1980 is the same time frame between 1980 
and 1939. Try that one on. The same time span between 2021 and 1980 is the same difference between 1980 and 1939. So when we're in 2021, we're like, well, I wish we could do things like we did back in, you know, 1980. That's like being in 1980 saying, I wish we could do things like we did, you know, back before World War II. That's what we, it's literally what we're saying. Literally what we're saying. So, I mean, styles change, things change, absolutely. The word of God does not change. Bringing glory and honor and praise to God does not change. But ultimately, it's not about a style I like or a style I don't like. That's not not what it is. We just can't take that as a template and say, well, I liked it, and so therefore God must like it. No, the question is, we go to the word of God and we say, what is pleasing to God? And the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to highlight, point to, exalt Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit is filling each one of us, then you know what my primary concern is going to be? Exalting Jesus. In private worship, in public worship, in daily life, that's going to be my number one concern. Uh, Psalm 99, verse 5, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. Notice that second phrase, worship at his footstool. Exalt the Lord, worship at his footstool. The Lord is on high, I'm going to get low. Exalt the Lord, he is the one worthy to be exalted. He's the one who is lifted up. He is the one who is seated above all things. He is the one who rules over all things. He is the sovereign king over all creation. And I, therefore, as a created being, even though I am his child, uh, I need to know my place. And my place is worshiping at his footstool. I, 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 I get low. I, I, I lower myself because he is exalted. And when the Holy Spirit of God is filling you, that won't be a problem. You don't, can I just tell you, you also don't start worrying about what other people think when the Holy Spirit of God is living within you and filling you. So then whenever you worship, you, you, you worship God and you're not worried about, well, I wonder if I'm singing a little bit off key. Uh, I wonder if, I wonder if I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, and, you know, can I just tell you the number one, the one question is Jesus pleased? Is God pleased with the worship? First Corinthians chapter 12, verse three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul takes the next step and says, listen, the only way that you can say Jesus is Lord, the only way you can say Jesus is Lord is that the Holy Spirit of God has done a work in you and you have surrendered to him. The only way that in your heart, you may be able to say the words, but the only way that you can say it, mean it, say it from the heart, is if the Holy Spirit of God has radically, completely changed you through your surrender to the gospel of Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. Can't work it up some other way. Can't get it by some backdoor method. Can't circumvent it. Can't do anything like that. It's only by salvation through the gospel because of the truth of the word of God that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a death, a sinner's death on the cross in our place. And if we surrender our lives to him, By faith coming to him. I believe he is who he says he is. I believe he did what he said he did. I believe he will forgive me. I trust in that. I trust in his salvation that he's offering. And if we surrender to him in faith, 
repent of our sins, turn from our sins, turn toward Christ, follow him only, then we will be saved. This is what, this is what scripture says. And that is the way that we receive the Holy Spirit through salvation, through the gospel. That's the only way. And then whenever we receive the Holy Spirit, we have a lifetime of continually seeking to surrender our lives to him so that the Holy Spirit fills us, so the Holy Spirit controls us, so that we bear these non-negotiables, worshiping and giving thanks and seeking the spiritual health of others and exalting Jesus alone. That's, That's why we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might reveal Christ. Not only to each other in the body of Christ, but to a world that is in desperate need of what the Savior has. And that is salvation, truth, and eternal life. So as we go out this week, that's my prayer. That we who know Christ will seek to relinquish control of anything that might hinder him from filling us fully. And that as filled people, people filled with the Spirit, not just indwelling, but filled with the Spirit, that we would go out and we would make him known because we have been filled with the Spirit in order to reveal Christ to others. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We're thankful for the person of the Holy Spirit. We're thankful that you've given him to us, that you've given us As the Bible says, another helper, one of the same type, literally. You've given us one of the same type as Jesus himself, being God himself, the Spirit, now indwelling each person who believes. And your desire is that your Spirit would fill each of us that you now live within. And Father, I pray you would do just that in our lives, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would would direct us, you would discipline us, whatever it takes in order for us to, to see clearly from your word that not only are you enough, but you have a desire to fill us with your spirit so that we might live spirit-filled lives for you. Father, I've talked to some people here in the congregation, and they, they've been experiencing just that, just a daily surrender to you as you have been working in their lives and you've been leading, leading them into a deeper walk with you, and they, they, they're just, just so enjoying walking with you and knowing you in this fresh way. Father, I pray you continue to do that in their lives, and I pray that for all of us pray you would do just that. Father, I pray for anybody here or listening or watching that maybe they've never made a decision to follow you. Maybe this whole talk of being filled with the Holy Spirit is just so foreign to them. Maybe not just because they're not familiar with what the Word says about it, but maybe, maybe that's just something that just seems so foreign because they're, they're, just, they, they're so far away from you, they've never made a decision to follow you, Father. God, I pray today would be the day they would say yes, they would by faith, trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. And he did exactly what he says that he did. He died on a cross. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we would not have to. 
And out of grace, out of love, out of mercy, you gave us Christ. And if we turn from our sins and turn toward him and surrender our lives to him, then we will be saved. Father, I pray that many would make that decision today. Father, I pray if there's any other spiritual decision that needs to be made, whether someone needs to come and pray or someone needs to join the church, someone needs to take a bold step forward and be baptized, exalting Christ through baptism. Father, I pray you would do just that in their lives as well. So we give this time a decision to you, recognizing that it doesn't stop here, that even when we walk out of these doors and get in our vehicles and, and go on with our our daily lives for the rest of the day and the rest of this week, Father, that at any point in time, you're there. At any point in time, we can call out to you as you give us that desire. So, Father, I pray that we would be sensitive to your leading and your guidance, not only now, but in the days to come. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.